Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and we're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. We're making good progress into the book of Isaiah here, looking at chapter 12 today. Another one of these really short chapters, it's, again, not really something that's meant to be separate. It really is sort of a continuation of chapter 11, but it is... It does stand out, right? And the, the tone of praise is so exultant and so triumphant. It really caps off this section before we turn to Isaiah 13, uh, which we'll do tomorrow. And, and wow, it takes a hard turn. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 13 and the oracles of judgment. Um, very different tone. But today we have this capping it off. And it's uh, I love these words. This is actually the Old Testament canticle for the uh, service of prayer and preaching. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Uh, words that are also, uh, well, we'll talk about this in a second, uh, from a different part of the Bible. And so what does that mean? How is this tying things together to the resolution of this Assyrian crisis, the restoration of God's people, and how does that speak to our own situation? So joining us, we have, well, at least what is a new guest for myself. We've got Pastor Dan Eddy joining us today from Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Good morning, and welcome, brother. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me on the program. Good to be here. Yeah, and now, have you been on before with Thy Strong Word, or is it just our first yes, time doing this? a few this? times. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Okay, okay, very good, very good. Do you recall what, what book of the Bible you were doing last time you were on? We looked at uh, several Psalms uh, back on uh, January 31st of this year. Okay, very good, very good. Yes, I'm happy to say that we keep going through the Psalter, and we'll have a chance to go through another psalm again soon, and we'll look at a few of them in October here. And what's interesting is that this this chapter of Isaiah sure feels like a psalm, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think that by giving it its own chapter, it's sort of testifying to that how these six verses, even though maybe the yeah they do belong with chapter eleven, they do have just a very like psalmic character, and um, it, it's no surprise then that we use them in the church the way that we do. Well, and this is drawn from other psalms. It's drawn from uh, one of the verses is drawn from the Song of Moses after mm-hmm. the Israelites were. Uh, after they defeated the Egyptians by the hand of God, by the hand of Moses. Mm -hmm. And so it was used there. It's actually quoted in Psalm 118, I believe, as part of that Psalter. So yes, Mm -hmm. especially the verse on strength here, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation, quoted in several different areas. Right. Yeah, no, that phrase you get um, in a lot of different places. And I think you're right that it does go, if you can say such a thing, originally back to that Song of Moses, referring to the, the Exodus, the, 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 the conclusion of that salvation from Pharaoh and his armies. And, and yeah, that's why, um, well, you get that phrase, right? The Lord God is my strength and my song. And we see that all over the place during Easter, right? I think that phrase is basically in like every Easter service we have a liturgy for. It's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's one that, that has found its way into many places in our tradition just because it's, uh, such a beautiful way to describe the rescue from sin, death, and the devil. Absolutely. Yes. And you were referring to, I believe, on Friday, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where be strong in the Lord 
And so it's mm-hmm. even used in the early part of the church as Paul writes his epistles. Yes, I'm trying to think back to Friday right now and struggling here. <laughs> it was it was it was a good weekend. It was a good week. I hope your weekend was good as well, brother. It was. It was very good. Uh yes, but you know, sometimes these these things happen, you know, incidents with the little ones, but I'm I'm happy to say that everyone seems to be doing doing better and healthy and everything. So praise God for that. But let's go ahead and um get into this here in Isaiah chapter 12. And uh, I want to be able to read those first two verses because we want to spend some time looking, especially as you were directing us uh, at verse 2, just because verse 2 is is such a potent verse here. But before we start reading, would you say a prayer for everybody listening and for us as well as we go through this? Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, through your Son, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By the Holy Spirit, empower our study of your word this morning through careful reading, listening, and learning, so we may inwardly digest your word for strength and faith, increased understanding, careful discernment, and application for living your word as we walk by faith and not by sight, in order that others may see and hear our good work, but give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, our resurrected and ascended Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, certainly. And we, we've had that, um, you know, I, I noticed that you, you mentioned that, that psalm, that the Lord's word is a, a lamp to our feet, light to our path. We've been talking about that idea in a few of these chapters of Isaiah, all this light imagery and um, also just God providing a way. And that was actually the thing we just read in chapter 11, that at the end we saw uh, in verse 16 of chapter 11, and there will be a highway from Assyria from the remnant that remains of his people, as there were as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And so that, that sets us up really well for verse twelve. I mean verse twelve really just continues that, that same thought where verse sixteen is leaving off. And and, and we saw last time how well on the one hand, it's not as clear um, from kind of extra biblical records exactly what kind of return from Assyria there was. It's not like we have something like the decree of Cyrus, like you do for the decree from Babylon. But we did see that there is evidence, at least within Scripture, that there were actually Israelites from like the the northern tribes who were left or who had returned who even were able to go down to Jerusalem to go and observe the Passover with the the their tribes uh the tribesmen of uh, Judah with Hezekiah and so there there was some kind of return from Assyria and it was well, the pattern not there unlike... for us the pattern there for us as Christians today uh is not a whole lot different than it was for them Look, mm-hmm. I've delivered you in the past. Mm-hmm. I will deliver you in the present. Right. And there's an ultimate deliverance in the future. Yes. The difference is that we see the deliverance of God, which is what salvation literally means, uh, in, in ultimately in the cross and in the grave. And yet we look for a future deliverance ourselves. Right. And, um, and I think the application for us is, look, if the del- Lord delivered you from the big things, you mm-hmm. know, mortality to immortality, as uh, Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15, then he will certainly get you through whatever challenges that you're facing today. 
Yes. And that means he'll forgive you of your sins that you have committed today because he's ultimately done that. He's, he's the ultimate deliverer. And so I, I heard that discussion that you had on Friday, and I, and I never really thought about that there was a mini uh, maybe exile or return from exile from some of the uh, lost brothers up in the ten northern tribes. And it just sets up a pattern that yeah. uh, the Lord is there to deliver us. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I like what you're saying. It's like a pattern, and um, you get that language in Isaiah 11 that God will stretch out his hand a second time. And so you, you kind of get this pattern of, well, there was an exodus. There was an exodus from Egypt, and then there was a second exodus from Assyria. Then there was a third exodus, an exodus from the exile of Babylon. And then we know as Christians, well, there was another exodus, um, the exodus that we celebrate at Easter, and really the exodus we celebrate every Sunday, because every Sunday is our new Passover, our new exodus um, in the resurrection, the death and cruci uh, crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus. That's a, that's a, a four, how, how many is that, four now? Four, a fourth exodus, right? <laughs> and then there's, as you were saying, there's a fifth one that we're still looking forward to. So there's this exodus pattern that just keeps happening again and again um, in, in, in bigger and bigger ways. Absolutely. And this, this um, I, uh, the verse 1 of Isaiah 12 starts opening up that door for the role of worship, how God blesses you in worship. Right. Let's go ahead and read um, verses verses 1 and 2 here, and we'll, we'll have plenty to, to sink our teeth into just with two verses here. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in the English Standard Version. Um, just noting again, even though the ESV doesn't translate it, uh, the word and is there at the beginning of verse 1. So it does really tie into chapter 11, like we were saying. But... Which is the continuation of the thought from Isaiah 11. Exactly, exactly. But here, here we have it here. Uh, let's read. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. All right. Yeah, so just already these two verses, just so much in them, even, even in verse 1. Well, think about this for a moment. Um, the idea of God relenting from his anger, the direction, mm. your anger turned away. The, yeah. Again, a pattern in Scripture. Uh, I, I think of Jonah, for example, mm. where he preached that uh, five-word sermon in, in Hebrew, <laughs> and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And, and, and he was disappointed that right. God relented. He That's repented right. in a way and changed his mind and didn't destroy the uh, Ninevites. Mm -hmm. And so there's a pattern that uh, we teach as Lutherans that God can change his mind based on compassion. Mm -hmm. um, the Israelites here, as the Ninevites then, uh, they deserve to be they deserve to be wiped out. Right. They deserved the wrath of God, and yet because they they repented, then God relented and mm -hmm. saved them. And that's reflected here in, in this passage when Isaiah is talking about you people aren't you know obeying the Lord. You're not right with the Lord. And yet, if you turn, then God will turn, and right. there will be this comfort, this, there will be this forgiveness, there will be right. this time of peace.
Right. That, that's, that's well, a point well made. Um, of course, you know, I like to remind people now, <clears throat> hang on now. John didn't actually preach just five words. That was a summary, guys. Um, <laughs> but, but you're right that these, that these prophecies, they're not necessarily predictions in the strictest sense, or at least you'd have to say they're conditional predictions, um, that it's not necessarily this is going to happen, but this is what deserves to happen. This, this is what the fruit of these sorts of works is. And so this is the direction we're going. And if you keep going down this path, this is where we're going to end up. But that doesn't necessarily rule out the possibility that if you repent, as you said, then, then God might repent as well, um, which, and if you say something along those lines, like, you know, God might repent, and there's a couple times in the prophets where you even get that phrase, like, who knows, maybe God will relent. That's not because we're Well, that's we're exactly what the king of Nineveh said. He yeah. said, who knows? Exactly. He, he, was, he never understood uh, Jonah's sermon as being conditional. He, he figured, okay, uh, we're, we're toast, okay, we're going to be wiped out. And the idea is that they received faith by the power of God's word, and from that faith they repented. And because they repented, then God forgave them, okay? It wasn't that it was based on their actions. It was based on their actions because they had faith, okay? So that, that pattern is there. And, and God could have still wiped them out. There's, there's areas where, where God does show his judgment and wipes out people. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is a vivid example. Uh, certainly when the Assyrians came down, and uh, before Zennacherib uh, uh, surrounded Jerusalem, certainly his judgment was there as well. His judgment was there when he took the people, uh, the Babylonian invasion, which Israel, uh, excuse me, Isaiah refers to. Um, you know, he told him, go with the enemy and you'll live to see another day. Don't go with the enemy and I'm done with you. That sort of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a pattern, and even when there is repentance, um, certainly, of course, it's a work that's done by God. The Holy Spirit is is the one who moves us to repentance, and you see that again and again. And and, and yeah, and, and that um, you know, I think it's a fair point to to ask just to what extent the the Ninevites understood the sermon. I mean, certainly. They understood it enough by God's grace um, to repent and to avoid having the destruction wiped out on on them. Um, you know that "who knows" phrase. I mean, I, you see it a, a couple times. I, I think that you know perhaps it, we know that from James, for example, you shouldn't be double-minded, and we shouldn't pray like, "Well, who knows? Maybe he'll hear me." Right? Or <laughs> not in right. that sense. But there is there is perhaps a, a an appropriately humble way of saying "who knows" in the sense of you know like you know in the sense of Job like. I am a mortal. I do not know the ways of God. I confess that his ways are greater than my ways. And, um, you know, ultimately the future is for him to know. And I will be content with whatever he reveals and gives to me. So, um, and you see it in a couple different, David says those words and it comes up in a couple other places too. So there's maybe a positive way too, but, but certainly the repentance, if it ever happens, is always, is always God's work. It's, it's always, um, a matter of God's, activity in God's face, you know, and that's that language you have here, that God, he turns away his wrath, he turns uh, facing and bringing towards his face of grace and light, like we say in the benediction. Well, the key is humility here. I mean, it's interesting, this verse 1, in many ways, does parallel 
when we use the divine worship service, why confession and absolution is important to have at the top. I mean, I'm not going to be pietistic and say it absolutely has to be there all the time, but think about it. When we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, what we are doing is we're saying, God, I don't blame you for being angry with me because of the way I've acted this way. And then when we confess our sins, what we're asking is, God, turn away the anger you rightfully have on me as your believer right. Right. And, and comfort me with your forgiveness and grace so that I can change the way I behave. Right. Yeah, yeah. We've talked a little bit about that, that there is this, this owning it that happens. And you see that in the prayers of Daniel and of Ezra. Um, and, and even Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. And it, it's because of our hope that we have in God, that it's because of his grace that we're able to be humble, that we're able to own our sin because we have hope that there's forgiveness. And, and it really completes the thought then when it says, you know, and you will say in that day, continuing the thought that we had in 11, where in verse 11 it said, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. So here we go, you know, in, in the face of God's grace and his relenting from the wrath, we are just left in, in humble awe that he has worked this, this great thing. And, and how, mu how much that must have been like the experience of the Israelites on the seashore at the Red Sea, that there they are and they see, you know, the, the army of Pharaoh washed up on the sea in humble awe, thinking to themselves, that could have been us in some ways right. that should right. have been us because we, we didn't deserve this. There, there's really humble awe that comes with the Thanksgiving. Well, what's the word we use in the New Testament where we talk about God does take his anger out? It's, isn't it called propitiation? God took out his anger on his son. Mm -hmm. You know, First John 4, verse 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Is, is that the way you understand the term? Is This is where God took out his anger, was on his son rather than on us? Right, right. There's those different aspects, right? You talk about like expiation, kind of like removing the guilt and propitiation, like kind of putting it on or putting it forward on something. I mean, you know, going back to the Old Testament practice of the, the scapegoat, right, on the Day of Atonement. Absolutely. On the Yom Kippur, yes. Yeah. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, there's, there's definitely what, what in the face of you know, wow, God took out His wrath, and I'm still here, right? It, it's not survivor guilt, um, but it is rightful, um, humble awe. And in the midst of that humble awe, then we are stirred to joy, though, um, and that's what we get in verse two, as you have this, this uh, declaration that echoes the song of Moses: "For the Lord God is my strength and my song." And, I mean, just in case we thought to ourselves, oh, maybe it's just coincidental. Maybe it just happens to be very similar. Um, <laughs> you know, as if, you know, I mean, it's already saying, like, again and again and again, it's like when they came out from the land of Egypt. It's like a second exodus that's been said, like, several times already in this context. But when you look in the Hebrew, right, um, it actually has word for word, the, the Lord God is my strength and my song. And it's actually, it's a very peculiar form. It's actually the same short form of God's name that Yah. Yeah, Yah, Yahweh. It's like Yah, Yahweh. It's like the, the yeah. uh, Yah is, and then it's Yahweh, and the, the ESV translators did Lord God. Right. It's, um, 
it's it's an exaltation of his name. It's a mm-hmm. there's like a uh, a passion behind that, a, mm-hmm. an enthusiasm that's there. Uh, so it, it's not something mentioned in passing. It's something uh, proclaimed with much excitement uh, mm-hmm. because of the faith that God gives us. Right. It's a, it's the same short form that you get at the end of the word, you know, hallelujah, you know, where it's that short yes. form that yes. refers to God. And it's just that, you know, that, that exaltation, that, that exclamation, right? And so that phrase, it, I mean, it's a little bit longer than hallelujah because it's um, uh, zimratia. Right, um, well, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite the same way, right? But, <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's word for word the same as what you have in Exodus 15, uh, following the escape from the armies of Pharaoh, and so it, it's it, there's no mistaking it. And as you said, what's kind of interesting about it is it's actually after you get that exclamation that's from Moses, that's from Exodus, um, you get the, actually the full name then Yahweh. So it's I mean it's uh you know my my strength my song or my strength my and my might, Yah, Yahweh. So, like, there's actually this repetition. I, I think this is the only place in the Old Testament where that happens. I'm, I'll take your word for it. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for sure myself, but it, it is a profound use of, of God's name. And I, I want to just back up and look at the word. Uh, before you get to that profound mm. confession of faith, Sure. It, you use the, in the phrase, I will trust and not be afraid. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. it reminds me in one sense, although it doesn't use the word fear, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, trust mm-hmm. in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. So this idea of it, when we say we teach our confirmants, we should fear and love God, because outside of the Bible, fear is mainly used in one way, and that is right. to be afraid. And I find it very interesting that when we fear the Lord, we trust him, and therefore we're not afraid. And it's actually two different words uh, in the Hebrew itself. Bakad is being used here for afraid. I think that's how you say it. And uh, yeah. versus uh, Yura, which is uh, how it's used in, right. in, say, for example, Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom right. uh, or the beginning of knowledge, depending on which uh, chapter or verse you're looking at. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So when we fear the Lord, we come to him humbled. And when we come to him humbled because of the faith he gave us, we are more likely to trust him. And when we're more likely to trust him, we're not going to be afraid of him because we're doing what he asks us to do. Yeah, this is this is um, something that we've we've had to kind of talk about a number of times because it, it is profound and in some ways, just as you were saying, it's it's kind of strange to us because we're we're not accustomed to talking about fear in a positive sense. <laughs> you know, in our own cultural setting, fear is like kind of always negative. It's like you know the the only thing to fear is fear itself. Like fear is just we we kind of use that word in a primarily negative way. It's it's not supposed to be something that's necessarily like healthy, but. Uh, I know that sometimes um, in confirmation, since you mentioned like confirmation sorts of settings, sometimes you, you say to the students, you know, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, you know, it's it's good that you would be like afraid of a bear or a, a lion or, or um, you know, something that looks really hot, right? And if it's approaching you, like, you know, to, to back away. If you don't have fear, right, then you're, you're just going to go headlong into danger and, and ultimately, you know, harm and destruction, right? So there's something good about fear. Um, well, I when the law just... convicts, 
The law convicts us in preaching, okay? Yeah. Um, it, because we're not right with the Lord, then we should be afraid of God. If right. we uh, are rebelling against Him and we want to do our own thing, right. then 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 we should be afraid of God. But when we are restored, as this um, uh, short uh, um, confession here, this uh, worship, this liturgy here in Isaiah 12, and the Lord has restored us then being afraid turns back to fear and awesome reverence because right. our trust is in him. Yeah, that, 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 that's well put, getting back to the idea of reverence. Um, and we should talk a little bit more about that, but we got to go to a short break here. So everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 12 on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and I'm joined today by Pastor Dan Eddy, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. We're looking at this short chapter here, very psalm-like canticle of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 12, looking at that phrase there, the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And just now, we're just kind of breaking down the part that came right before that, and I will not be afraid. Talking a little bit more about fear here. And as you're listening to us here, if this, uh, if you're thinking about, hey, wait, there's another verse in the Bible that has to do with fear. Or if you've got a different question, any questions or comments related to anything here in these six verses of Isaiah, and you're listening live, I invite you to call in if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or everybody can call one 800 730 2727, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, and uh, somebody will 
check that email out and let me know that we've got an email there for us. So yeah, lo looking at this, um, you, you, I, I really appreciate the point that you brought out here, that the word for be afraid is actually different from the word for fear. Um, that and, and you actually um, referenced the actual Hebrew, and yeah, it, it, you mentioned it. It's like a pechad, that, that in here it's like a efchad, this form that means, uh, it's kind of like the form that you can use for like being startled, you know, but like you think about mm -hmm. that, those are two different kinds mm -hmm. of fear. Like, you know, there's a kind of fear that's like a, a very rational fear that's like, okay, I, I, I am not going to mess with that. Um, there is good reason why I should be afraid of that and I'm not going over there, right? Versus like the kind of irrational fear that's sort of like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That, that kind of just startled out of your wits sort of fear. And, and I think that might capture the difference that we don't have to be kind of startled out of our wits and, and be panicking, right? I will not panic. It maybe is another way of putting right. this. Right, um, right. You know, be, I don't have to, to panic in the face of Assyria or in the face of Egypt because I have my fear in the Lord. And just in verse, um, it was in chapter 11, that the prediction of um, that Messiah, you know, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, but also Hezekiah in that time and place, that his delight would be in the fear of the Lord. So the, the fear of the Lord, when you have that, you don't have to have the panic in the chances and changes of this life. Well, in verse 2, Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, first establishes that God is my salvation. Exactly. Our trust is in him, so we're not afraid. Then in the second part of that verse, it says God becomes our salvation because he is my strength and song. So you have the word for there. Another way you could put that is I will trust and will not be afraid because exactly. the Lord God is my strength and my song and mm -hmm. has become my salvation. Right. Right, because of why God has done, because he's rescued us from the Assyrians, because he's, I mean, with the, we talked about this, the angel of Yahweh striking them down and forcing them to call off the siege, um, because he has saved us from the, the Egyptians, because he caused the seas to collapse in on the armies of Pharaoh and rescue us and leave us safe so that they would never come and pursue us again. And these all these different ways, the pattern that we were talking about, that's why we don't have to be panicked and we can fear God first and foremost, which, you know, as we were talking about, I think, uh, yeah, it was either last, it was sometime last week, that there's that mixture of um, both rightly being afraid, as as Isaiah was, um, you know, like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, we, we always have that reality of being um, sinners, um, but also that just kind of that reverent awe that, you know, even as justified saints, it, we, we cannot help but like the seraphim, bow in, in holy reverence and avert our eyes from the, the holy throne of God. And look, and look what the result of that was. When the seraph did touch his tongue with the coal, then what was Isaiah's response? Here am I, right, exactly. send me. And, and that should be the response when we leave a worship service is, here I am, Lord, send me to do what you want me to do. And I, I think a lot of times we lose the concept that praising the Lord, we make it look like it's something we do. Rather, the idea is that by praising the Lord, we are strengthened. And when I saw this verse about strength, mm -hmm. it reminded me of Jesus quoting Psalm 8, verse 2. He quoted it out of the Septuagint when he said, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. But in the original Hebrew, 
It is out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, okay? Uh, no, actually, I, I, I stand corrected. Uh, Jesus said from the Septuagint, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. That, mm-hmm. That's what he said. Right, the original okay. Hebrew is, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Well, mm-hmm. I don't see that as a contradiction. I see that as Jesus interpreting his own scripture Mm. and talking about that praising the Lord is what uh, establishes strength. When um, you have, when you are prepared to praise the Lord, when you do that, you are establishing strength among those that assemble for worship, which is why worship is a group activity, not an individual activity. It's Mm -hmm. individuals coming together, hearing the word of God, not just in the sermon, Uh, but also in the hymns. And -hmm. think about it, when you're in a worship setting and I hear somebody else praising the Lord and they hear me, the Holy Spirit is working through all of us so that we can walk away strengthened in the faith, one of the goals of worship. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that's well said, that there's, there's, um, you know, these these two different, you know, translations, whether it's you're you're reading the Old Testament in Greek or in Hebrew, they're often complementary, and sometimes it's actually really nice when they are a little bit different, because it can give you a little bit of a different perspective that maybe helps you understand what the other one's getting at. And and right, I think that you're you're so right that, you know, we should see praise as something that that God does. I mean I mean praise is kind of a natural extension of victory, which is a natural extension of his own strength. And so that that praise is really just what's naturally coming from the hand of God here. And so when you have um, yeah, it's all tied together very nicely here in verse 2 and and uh i i wanted to ask you know you're you're kind of mentioning again the 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 act of of corporate worship here and i i really got to say um you know in in the lutheran service book we have this uh service of prayer and preaching which a lot of people maybe are not as familiar with but it it's a really nice service that you you can do it's it's not a communion liturgy it's actually one that's just really good for kind of um you know going over some some parts of the catechism maybe doing a a sermon and just you know maybe like a you know maybe a couple of songs but it can be a simpler service but in that service you have this old testament canticle and this whole chapter is just set to music and it's it's just beautiful and i find it to be as you were saying very encouraging and emboldening right as we were just talking about um, when you hear these words of God on the lips of your brothers and sisters, right? We we typically, not typically, we have on occasion use it at our Winkle worship services when our oh, circuits okay. get together. Um, mm-hmm. This is probably used, I would say, maybe a quarter or a third of the time, at least at our Winkles. And it's, it is a good reminder, as God's under-shepherds, about the role of that that, that plays in in our preaching and in our praising of God, yeah, yeah, no, and, and well, and we should we should go ahead and keep on reading it. But like this this idea of kind of you know, and, and you will say right because I mean you, that's actually the bit you get. You have this um you know in that day, which continues from you know chapter eleven in that day in that day. Um, what's interesting is the, the pattern is sort of like in, in chapter eleven. It's it's sort of like you know in that day God's going to do this stuff. And then in chapter 12, it's in that day you will say. So it's again, you know, what we say is that result of, of God's action. And so there's, there's more stuff for us to say. 
resulting from what God does. Um, and that's what you get in verse 3. So let's, let's go ahead and read. Um, eh, we can go ahead and read the rest of the chapter. And, we, of course, we can just go over it slowly in, in verse by verse as we call attention to details. But let's go ahead and read the, the second half. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So, yeah, I mean, the, the poetry just continues, and it, it um, you know, very not not uncommon to the prophets or to the Psalms. In this case, it's using this sort of like synonymous poetry where there's kind of these half lines and each line kind of restates, um, each half kind of restates the other. So give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name to kind of like complimenting each other, right? Or Well, I, I've told six. people when they don't understand the Psalms, they say, well, if you don't understand the first half of the verse, it's usually reiterated uh, exactly. in the second half of the verse. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually the really nice thing. It's like, well, you'll probably understand one of the halves, and so as long as you get one right. of them, right? It's an apposition, I think, is the term, right? Isn't yes. that the grammatical yes. term? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and a- apposition is a beautiful thing because it helps to clarify or enhance or expand the idea that started in the verse. Right. And in poetry, it's actually really, really useful because, I mean, I mean, one, it kind of gives you a different perspective on it. Um, and so, like, it kind of helps just the idea to be really full then. But then also because poetry is so flexible, it can be kind of ambiguous at times. And by having that sort of appositional half-line poetry going on, it helps to clarify the poetic idea. So, you know, sometimes you just throw a line out there and, I mean, it could mean anything, right? You know, there's lots of different ways to apply it. But when you have two lines and you can see where they intersect, that's a point, right? So just having the second line there uh, helps sharpen the the, the thrust of the meaning um, just very precisely. And these three... And in these three verses, in the poetic sense, there's a lot of rich vocabulary here. You've got words like joy and water mm-hmm. and giving thanks and calling upon his names and deeds and exalted. I mean, there, there, there is a treasure chest here of understanding um, why you're praising the Lord and what benefits come from that. And, and, and you're right. And you mentioned water, actually, because isn't, isn't that interesting? I really I really like that line when, when it's sung in, in the service of prayer and preaching. But it doesn't immediately seem to, I mean, I mean, I don't know. So what do, you, what do you make of this? Because water in the context so far, um, we are thinking about when God parted the Red Sea and used the water to destroy the enemies of Israel, right? Absolutely. And water also, too, has um, I believe after the Israelites were saved, the God or Moses, God through Moses, took bitter water and made it sweet. Mm-hmm. And didn't Elijah? Is Elijah that did that later on in Second Kings? I uh, so. so the idea of water being a a power agent that ended up killing the entire Pharaoh's entire army in the Red Sea, but water also is not always good. And uh, so even Jesus himself, in uh, John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, 
contrasts the water that she's drinking. And when he says, well, everybody who drinks of that water is going to be thirsty again, but whatever drinks of the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. Uh, The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yes, and I want this water. I don't want the water that where I'm going to be thirsty again. Yes. Well, yeah, and, and also just you, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the water that springs up or wells up. It, it's a natural poetic description of joy. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but when you see water come up out of the ground and just shoot up like, like it's springing up, I, I, it just looks happy. I don't, you know, it's like water is laughing or something. It, it seems to be like just a, a human universal that when you see water just being spit up from the ground like that, it's just something about it that makes you happy it's kind of like you know looking at the imagery of the the garden of eden that the water welled up from the ground yeah 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 you know exactly i think i think i think about children right i was um you know i was really struck by the all the water stuff they have in this one little area in um in kansas city when we were visiting once and just the, the kids are just so happy to see the water just shoot up from the ground like it's just like they have the biggest smiles on their faces but the idea of water just welling up from the ground or drawing up water from the wells it's just it is just a very naturally joyful um image well notice how joy and water and then after that you will say in that day give thanks to the lord and call upon his name isn't it interesting how those three concepts are drawn together uh in uh the prayer that jesus prayed on monday thursday night recorded in john 17 where he said um now I am coming. Well, hold on here. Let me get let me get the right one here. Sure. Uh, sorry, John sixteen verse twenty four. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Mm-hmm. So there he connects joy to asking in his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he said a few chapters before that these things I have spoken to you, my word that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full so there the concept of joy and the name of jesus are connected together right well and and of course too like you know our lord when he's in the in in the temple courts he talks about um giving water um abundantly um you know he's the one that come come to him all you are thirsty and he'll give you the the water of, of of life um, I want I want to take a question before we um, go on though. Um, on this point, we have a question relating to Revelation about water from Cheryl. Um, yeah, Cheryl, thanks for calling. So uh, you're thinking about um, connecting this to Revelation? Uh, yeah, you already did that <laughs> right after I called. <laughs> you linked it to Revelation seven verse seventeen, where it says, "The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." But um, yeah. <laughs> I had another comment. Sure, go ahead. CPH has Bibles on sale. This is the last day, the 30th of September. Okay. Uh, they have a, a fairly new resource for parents and children ages 6 to 10 called the Growing in Faith Bible. And they also have the Growing in Faith uh, Bible Storybooks. Well, the illustration for uh, the book of Isaiah, they have an illustration and uh, it's uh, the title of the Sunday school lesson that's with the illustration is Isaiah, Prophet to a Cold Nation. And in the illustration, it shows Isaiah with his quill, and he's writing prophecies. 
And then the pictures that are up above his head show the Jesus, the virgin birth, Jesus, the spirit mm. resting mm. on him at the baptism in mm-hmm. the Jordan River, Jesus opening the eyes of the blind, Jesus teaching, sitting in the boat, teaching the multitudes, Jesus crucified, Jesus buried in the tomb, Jesus risen, and these are all things that Isaiah was able to prophesy. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, that image, right. I, I love, I love some of the images and I mean, artwork. I mean, I've, I've say this, you know, art is the friend of the of theology and art is the friend of the church that, you know, it can just give you this different perspective and that, that thank you, Cheryl, for sharing that art. That Well, and I you, want to thank Cheryl too, because in what she illustrated so beautifully is what is being said here in uh, verse four, uh, which says, make known his deeds yes. among the peoples. Mm-hmm. No, Isaiah is predicting what, what is to come, you know, 700, 750 years before it happens, ultimately in Christ Jesus. And I realize there's a topology here, right. okay? There's more immediate um, uh, the prophecies being fulfilled, but they ultimately come fulfilled in Jesus. I find it quite interesting that of all of the documents they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Back uh-huh. 70 years ago, they found more from the book of Isaiah than any it's other uh, book out there. And I don't it's think true. that was by accident or by coincidence. Yeah, no, there's something about Isaiah, how he is able to just tie everything together. And, um, of, and of course, how then also, um, and of course, not unexpectedly. I mean, you think about that. Of course, in the New Testament, we talk about our Lord Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who ties everything together. And so if Isaiah here is tying everything together, are we surprised that we should find that there is a great correlation to our Lord Jesus himself? Um, and, and I really liked what actually, you know, Cheryl, you uh, before you mentioned the thing with the, the pictures of, of the images of the Lord's uh, life and ministry, you were mentioning that from Revelation seven seventeen. The, the one last thing I think that was kind of interesting about that that um, you because you kept reading at the end of seventeen it says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't there something interesting about how just naturally there is an opposition between springs of water welling up, water going up as a sign of joy, and water going down our cheeks going down from our eyes is a symbol of sorrow. You know, there, there oh, wow. seems to be like, like on a very basic human level. I think we all understand water going down means sad and water going up means happy. Like, you know, it's kind of like inescapable. Like there's so many people who feel gloomy on a rainy day. I mean, it's not totally universal, but I think there's a part of us in our souls that just, it just kind of looks like somebody crying, you know, and isn't it just interesting how um, it, it's it's tying it all together and God's just doing this reversal with the water? Well, what does it say in Isaiah 55 about water coming down from heaven? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, I'm reading from verse 10 of Isaiah 55, and uh, do not return there, but water the earth, making it sprout and grow and giving seed to the sower. Uh, and then it says, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. So if you think of water coming down and what evaporation, you know, going mm. back up, uh, you know, that that's a powerful image of, mm. uh, of the joy uh, exalted as this text from Isaiah 12 puts it. We, what is exalted? You lift up. Lifting you, up, right. You, 
Right. And so I love that imagery. That's I never even thought about that before. Well, and you mentioned exalted here, and and, um, and and you're absolutely, of course, right that like making known his deeds among the peoples. I mean, of course, I mean, what is that? That's the Great Commission. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? I mean, we're going to actually go Amen. to the peoples and exalt God's name. You know, and, and the apostles are going to say like, "There's no other name under heaven um, given to men by which we must be saved." And so that's going to happen in a big way with with our Lord Jesus. But even this is interesting. Even in this situation. It's happening in the day of Hezekiah, and we kind of got a little bit of a hint of it back when we were looking at Isaiah chapter 9, because it was saying there that in up in the north, right, in Galilee of the nations, in Zeb, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, right, they're going to see this light, which is which is interesting because what's going on at the time, right? Well, the Assyrians, they're, they're just kind of dumping people from all over the world up there in the north. It's not just going to be the Israelites anymore, people of the Ten Tribes. It's going to be people from, like, all over the Assyrian Empire that the Assyrians are just kind of resettling. And they mean that for evil, but God means it for good. And mm. so here they are, and they were in darkness, all these nations that have been brought, but now they see the light coming from Jerusalem. They see the word of the Lord brought forth. And like when we read in Second Chronicles that some people from the north came down to Jerusalem, I got to think that that wasn't just blood-born relatives. That wasn't just by blood Israelites, but that there were actually legit Gentiles that came down and actually worshipped the Lord and that the nations were literally lifting up and exalting the name of God. Um, That's a, that, I never even had thought about that before. That's an excellent point, Pastor, that you've made. For us today, what do we do in our witness for um, for making his deeds known? Uh, one of I really encourage people to study the Everyone His Witness um, mm, Bible yeah. study. We did that here at Messiah uh, over the winter and into the spring, and uh, we make known the deeds of what Jesus has done for us when we encounter broken people in our lives. And that's one of the, they, they spent weeks on that. We talk about how God uses us as his instrument to convert hearts, not the other way around. Yeah. Um, and that provided a lot of comfort to our members who have been trying to encourage family members to be right with the Lord. And they felt relief in knowing that, you know what, we can't convert somebody, God doesn't. God uses us to do that, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that there's a real good application for us to live in our vocations of life, to love our neighbors as ourselves, as parent and child and spouse and uh, in our occupations. But that's how we make the deeds known, not yeah. just by what we say, but what we do and how we show that love. Yeah, that, that's a really great way of putting it. I like that. You know, God uses us, right, to convert people. We don't use God <laughs> to convert people, you know, and, and, and so often it can it can feel that way. We decide, like, you, we're going to have a plan, we're going to have a strategy, and, you know, hey, it, it's good to be diligent in all of these things. No no doubts and no, no quarrel there. But, you know, it can be easy to get focused on what we are doing to the extent that we think that we're kind of like using the Bible for our own purposes to convert people as we think. But as you're well, saying... Well, if you do, you're, you're not going to have very good success. Well, no, if no, you allow true, God true, to use true. you, then you'll see the glory that's, of that's the right. Lord. You really yeah, will. No, that's, that's right. You need, you need yeah, a humble heart is what sees the glory of God, right? I mean, that's what our Lord says in the Beatitudes, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's that humility. 
humility, right? Those who are, who are meek and poor in spirit, you know, who end up um, seeing God. But, but just to, to, to this point, though, right? I mean, think about vocation. You know, there's Hezekiah. He sends out people invitations to go to the north and say, "Hey, come on down, worship with us. We're going to do the Passover." And what does it say? Like most most of the people who heard that just laughed, and they were like, "What are you talking about? We don't want to go down to Judah. We don't want to go down to Jerusalem. Who are you kidding? You you go do your own Passover thing." Most of the people were you know, greeted with scorn. The people who were sent up with those invitations, but some of those people humbled themselves that's the, what the text says it says they humbled themselves and they went down to jerusalem you know so i mean that's just the thing i mean like we we shouldn't expect that us going around you know with the word of god like everyone's just going to you know give us high fives and cheers everywhere we go i mean how was the lord himself ultimately responded to right um, but the thing is there will be some in god's good work in providence who will humble their hearts and hear what and has think to be about said. this when we give thanks to the Lord, if we begin to enumerate our blessings that we have from that, that should humble us yeah. because we realize the more we thank him, the more we realize he's working in our lives. The more we see him working in our lives, the more we're humbled by that. If we see God as a genie in a bottle that you rub a certain way to get what you want, there's no humility in that. And I would argue there's very little great gratitude or yeah. thankfulness. Well, no, that, and that that that's very key. That's very key. The thankfulness, it really does go hand in hand with the humility. We saw that at the very beginning in verse 1. You see at the very end in verse 6, shout and sing for joy for or because great in your midst what? Who? Is, is you, O oh, oh, Holy One of God? No. Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel, right? It's that humility that exalts God and not ourselves that actually has genuine thankfulness. Um, and the Holy One of Israel refers to the Holy One of God that's yes. in the New Testament where where that's how Jesus was identified. So there's exactly. a connection there that uh, between uh, what Isaiah prophesied many, many times and what eventually comes in the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. Amen. Amen, brother. Hey, so good. Fantastic having you on for the first time doing this together and looking forward to having you on again real soon. I uh, look forward to coming back. Thank you. God's blessings to you and your ministry there with thy strong word. And to you as well and the people at Messiah. Blessings and peace. Everybody, that was Pastor Dan Eddy, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us today and look forward to having you on with us tomorrow. We're going to go into some harder stuff here with this Isaiah chapter 13, but hang with us. It really it gets really interesting. We also thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out, lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Until next time, peace. Online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.